Hey everybody, welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. For those who don't know me, I am a lifelong political nerd with a background in international relations and security policy with experience working in the U.S. domestic political space. And having lived for a number of years in various countries outside of my own, I feel I'm fairly well positioned to shed some light for my audience back home on uh, some important events going on outside of the country and to help interpret for some folks on the outside of my country looking in and trying to understand what the hell is going on, just what the hell's going on. So I'd been thinking about what I'd talk about in this episode. Uh, and what came to me earlier today in the context of a few things going on right now was the fact that for a number of different reasons, this year has been one with a lot of big events in the area of women's rights, mostly negative. Now, in this day and age, I'm almost by definition running the risk of somebody going, but you're a man, why are you talking about this? And for the record, I am sure that I have some blind spots, but I'm also a firm believer uh, that this notion that people who aren't in a group somehow can't talk about the issues affecting that group is uh, both intellectually lazy and counterproductive as a general rule. And in this specific instance, since it's, well, let's be realistic, usually men who are the ones standing in the way of women's rights, well, people like me really should be talking about it. So I'm going to talk today about several big things that have happened this year in the area of women's rights, uh, ranging from things in American politics to what's happening right now in Iran. I should say I'm also hoping before too long to talk with somebody on this show uh, who can shed a more... Uh, precise and intimate uh, perspective uh, on what's going on in that country uh, right now. It's just a matter of figuring out how uh, we can have that conversation while protecting that person's identity. But for now, I'm going to start with the U.S. perspective, starting obviously with the fall earlier this year, the repeal, the elimination of the right of women in my country to decide that they don't want to carry a pregnancy to term. Now, just to clarify for my non-American listeners who might not be familiar with the history around this, the right to have an abortion in the United States was protected for the last half century, roughly, not by a law passed by our Congress, but by a decision made in the Supreme Court in the early 1970s called Roe v. Wade, a decision which interpreted the Constitution as giving people in the country an individual right to privacy which includes the right to make decisions about one's own body. Uh, since then, it's become a truism in American politics over the last couple of decades that conservatives care more about the courts than liberal voters do. And this is because the political right has used Roe to push conservative Christians to show up in huge numbers to vote for Republicans, who over time have a party as a party uh, despite once standing for individual liberty and still claiming they do, uh, having evolved to become completely against abortion rights, anti-choice. Now, this is ironic, I think, for a couple of reasons besides just my reference there to them claiming to be the party of individual liberty. Firstly, because although conservative Catholics, I believe, have always been uh, anti-abortion, from what I understand, the hardcore evangelical Protestants who now make up largely the base of the Republican Party, weren't that interested in abortion until maybe the 1980s. There's this myth in American politics that conservative Christians you know, entered the political arena on the right, en masse, after Roe, 
But the reality, as I understand it, is that this alignment of the political right, the anti-abortion movement, and uh, the evangelicals actually happened quite a bit later, or you know, a decent bit later, and for other reasons. One of which is that leaders of the right-wing evangelical movement thought that opposition to abortion might be more of a political winner than racial segregation, which had been a driving force for a lot of them in that movement up until that point. I, of course, can't help taking a second here to add a little bit of snark uh, to note another irony, which is, you know, the fact that the American political right, as of right now, certainly thinks of itself as the home of people who really care about being Christians, you know, very much sees itself as the political home for, for people who are serious about their Christianity, uh, in their view of it anyway, is very ironic since hating gays and opposing abortion which appear to be the two North Stars of political Christianity in America in 2023, are both never mentioned in the Bible, unlike all that hippie stuff about caring for the poor, love thy neighbor, and turn the other cheek. Things which would seem to fit a little bit better on the blue team. Speaking of which, if you think about the most devoutly, openly religious Christian presidents in the United States over the last 50 years or so, You'd mention George W. Bush, but the next one you'd think of would almost certainly have to be Jimmy Carter, who was an evangelical Christian in the years after Roe v. Wade passed, or, or, or was decided, and he was a Democrat. A Democrat who, as president, avoided military entanglements, did everything he could to help the poor, and didn't seem all that concerned about uh, attacking gay people or the right to abortion that had just become a thing in the United States all of which would absolutely not fit into the modern political Christian evangelical movement in the United States, and all of which would seem to indicate that the evangelical movement as such in the American political right right now didn't suddenly sweep in right after the abortion rights thing. It's a thing that happened over time, but I digress. Here's the thing. Republicans have used this issue as a political pinata for decades, but the last point I made would seem to indicate that the adoption of hardcore anti-abortion politics by both the Republican Party and the evangelical movement was probably more intentional than just like spontaneous outrage over the idea of abortion, or at least it was at the time that these ideas were adopted by both of those movements. You can definitely see, uh, certainly in the evolution of the Republican Party on this issue, that a lot more of a lot of the more you know, sane ones uh, appear to have not really taken it all that seriously. I mean, think about the the sort of wink and nod around you know using the kind of abortion is murder language to rile up the base, but also many in the party again up until fairly recently supporting exceptions for rape, incest, or when the life of the mother is uh, threatened by a pregnancy you know, to communicate to the sane population that they aren't totally crazy on this issue. The problem with that, obviously, is that this is not an intellectually consistent position. Like, if you tell people that a woman terminating a pregnancy is literal murder, it becomes harder over time to be like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's murder, but, like, murder okay if the woman was raped or related to the dad. Like, so many other seeds planted a while back by less crazy conservatives for craven political purposes to try to gin up outrage and drive voters to the polls, this one has grown into a situation where many of the base voters 
many of whom are now running for office themselves over time, actually bought it. The notion that terminating a pregnancy for any reason is literally murder. Now, of course, it's not, <laughs> obviously, but science doesn't usually get in the way of a good story for the political right in America. Just as a side note, <laughs> this is also hardly unique as an issue that can in many ways be traced back to a craven short-term political decision made like a generation ago by not as crazy as today conservatives. I mean, like, you look at Fox News, for example. Fox News exists because Republicans wanted a political advantage in the 90s, and now it's grown into, like, a purity contest anti-democracy, pro-Russian propaganda organ that has helped radicalize the population to create a monster that has now eaten all of those potty-trained Republicans who once created it. But again, I digress. I see two parallel tracks of the abortion politics which sort of feed off of each other. The Republicans have radicalized their base around the issue while simultaneously stacking the courts with right-wing judges who might one day take away this right to abortion, which previous judges had created. I suspect that the Republicans who concocted this strategy a decade or no, a generation or so ago, assumed that Roe would never actually fall. It would certainly be more convenient to them if it hadn't, even with all the work they've done to radicalize their own base around this issue, they've never come close to convincing a majority of the country that abortion should be outlawed. So from their standpoint, it was a lot easier to spew radical anti-abortion red meat for their base uh, when they weren't you know, playing with live ammo. Roe being there protecting the right to have an abortion in America allowed pro-choice people who maybe wanted to vote Republican for other reasons to do so and allowed those Republican candidates to fling red meat at the evangelical base to gin them up to go out and vote while they both knew that in the end their right to have an abortion would never actually go away. You know, oops. So I have a theory that in this day and age of increasing tribal isolation and almost hermetically sealed social media echo chambers, that when activists of any stripe uh, don't get their way politically, they have a tendency to, in frustration, retreat to those, well, those, those safe spaces of those uh, increasingly isolated echo chambers and then further radicalize themselves there. Now, you can certainly see some examples of this on the left with what I would consider to be some of the excesses of the insufferably hyper-woke, you know, PC stuff, uh, which I've theorized for a while is, you know, at least partly the response of folks frustrated at being unable to make as much change as they want to through the political system. Now, I should note that at least when it comes to change hoping to be made on the left, <laughs> part of the reason for that frustration and part of the reason for the fact of those changes not being able to be made is the fact that the political system is, as I've discussed in a number of earlier episodes of this podcast, particularly the For the People F, uh, episodes, the political system is hopelessly stacked against um, progressive causes in the United States. But you can also see this phenomenon, I think, with 
parts of the anti-abortion movement, uh, which has just gotten crazier and crazier over time as its activists have been dissatisfied with incremental gains at the state level. And why not? If you literally believe that abortion is actual murder, nothing short of total success of your movement will be satisfying to you, thus leading to the retreat into your own sort of echo chambers and further radicalization. And you can see that radicalization play out in American politics in the evolution of what we see in and expect from the Republican Party just over the last 10 years. So let's rewind back to the year 2012. In that year, the Democrats won two Senate races they absolutely should have lost. Why? Two names, Richard Murdoch and Todd Aiken. Uh, these two men were the Republican Senate nominees in Indiana and Missouri, respectively, and they were known to be super radically anti-abortion. This was thrown onto the front pages by Todd Aiken, the Missouri one, saying, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting here, uh, when when being asked about uh, why he, you know, whether or not he was in favor of exceptions in the case of rape and incest in the life of the mother, he said something to the effect of, uh, quote, if it's a legitimate rape, from what I understand, the female body has ways of shutting that whole thing down, unquote, which you know, create a firestorm. And then a month later in a debate, Richard Murdoch in Indiana <laughs> said uh, something to the effect of, even in the terrible situation of rape, uh, I believe it was something that God intended to happen. Now, these men both became, you know, a laughing stock on late night. Other Republican candidates had to hide from their position on these issues. But now, 10 years later, Richard Murdoch and Todd Aiken wouldn't even stick out. It's standard practice for the Republican Party to nominate candidates like the lunatic running for governor in Michigan who said something to the effect of, a scenario in which a 14-year-old is pregnant after being raped by her uncle is, and I quote, a perfect example, unquote, of why abortion should be prohibited in all cases. Evidently, she's making a strong play to the offspring with 11 toes constituency. But as crazy as this sounds, this is, the, this is the point. The destruction in America of the nationally protected right for women to choose whether or not they want to carry a pregnancy to term has come at a very bad time. A time when the anti-abortion movement has radicalized to a degree that we've never, as far as I know, seen before. There is now a critical mass of radical lunatics, many of whom are elected members of Congress or the Senate or state legislatures, all from the Republican Party, who are all too happy to exploit the end of a constitutionally protected right to abortion in the United States to either uphold draconian laws from a different era or pass new ones. Laws which really render women second-class citizens in states where that's the case. There have already been cases this year of pregnant 10-year-olds who have had to literally flee their states to terminate pregnancies resulting from child rape. There have been mothers whose lives have been put in serious danger because of risky pregnancies that doctors were no longer sure they were legally allowed to terminate. 
This is an outrage. This is an embarrassment. This is a profound attack on what it means to be free in the United States in 2022. And above all, it is a sign of profound disrespect to half the population that one of our political parties is telling no longer has the right to fully control what goes on with their body. That said, it is, unfortunately, just one of a number of fronts on which I believe women's rights have really suffered this year. Uh, I plan to discuss more of them in this episode, but as I've talked about just this one instance way longer than I anticipated, well, from your perspective, this episode, if done all in one, could end up being way too long, and for mine, well, it's now the middle of the night and I have to work tomorrow. So it looks like this is going to be a two-parter. So stay tuned for the second half of this not very happy episode reflecting on some of the largely negative inflection points in the fight for women's rights this year. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show as it's coming back, please subscribe, leave a rating. Most of all, please, please go ahead and share it with anybody you feel might be interested in it. If you're on Twitter, go follow me at OWS Kendall. That's O-W-S-K-E-N-D-L-L. Please, really, I'm serious. Feel free to reach out to me there if you have any thoughts about the podcast. Um, I really am open to any suggestions or, or interests or, or any just general reflections from, from any of you. Um, as always, a big thank you to my friend Nate Wright for having designed uh, the podcast artwork and to you for listening. Mm-hmm.